Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday night, and uh, I'm going to take a Another try Shavuos over here uh, on behalf of uh, uh, Gluck, Abe Gluck and uh, Gluck Palming in, in Lakewood. As always, thank you. The no no refried beans, and um, therefore I want to look at the uh, Shtei Alechem part of it, and a, a, a certain part that caught my attention. Uh, as we mentioned, as you know, probably the Chumash doesn't talk about mountain mountain Torah but rather the central ceremony. On uh, Shabbos is the uh, Shtei Alechem ceremony. I'm sure you don't know the um, exact carbonus that are offered up on on, uh, on Shabbos. I mean, who does? If you look in the Rambam, in the eighth parak of uh, Tmini Musafim, he gives you the whole business, and he goes to the trouble to tell you exactly how many there are and all the rest of it. You know, in other words, besides the carbon tomes, you get this the two that's what we call the the And then you get the Shteyalechem. So the key point is that the main ceremonies with the two breads and the two uh, lambs, like I said the other day. Okay? Now what does the exact ceremony consist of? So, the um, it's waving. I mean, that that's what it is. You, know, you you take the two and the two and you and you hold them together in some fashion, and you wave them. That's the ganze business. If you look on the chumash, we said it not long ago. Was in in Emor from the time he did the Omer Hatunufa, which is interesting because he refers to the waving. Sheba Shabbos, then you count 49 days and then eventually get to 50 days, and so on and so forth. So the Omer you wave and the Shtei Alechem you wave. Shtayim Shtei Yisronim, and so on and so forth. Vihikraftem al Alechem. And then together uh, with the bread you offer, Sheba Shabbosim Tumim, and so and so many carbonas. Okay. Vihaini Fakoin Usam al Alechem Abikorim, Tunufal Yashem. Al Shnei Kwasim. And you wait, the coin will wave them, the two breads, the lechem b'bikorim, al shnei kvasim, on the two limbs. So that's always the question: What exactly does it mean? I am always uh, prejudiced by the fact that long ago I, I saw the wonderful picture book from Rabbi Open here, the big expert in carbonus at Sadik in Baltimore. What's it called? The Carbon Mincha book, and he had a wonderful picture, which is not exactly accurate necessarily, on page uh, whatever it is, page forty-four of the Tanufa, in which you see it always is stuck in my mind because you see the coin taking the two big breads. Now, all this is in the Gemara, it's Machlokis, and it's showing them how to do it. The two Shteyalechem, uh, do they have, do they come up pointy the way you and I always see it? Right? Agreed? You know, whenever you see a picture of the Shteyalechem, or Google it or something, and you'll see the two breads with the Arba, you know, Kitsabas, whatever they call it, and they're like horns. Doesn't it say that there was a family that knew how to make the bread especially? 
and they won't share the secret, and you know, and Yuma and all that. Um, but you look in the Rambam, and he he simply doesn't talk about that. He the Rambam talk about two large breads, you know, seven by four, and uh, with four corners, like any challah, you know, like a rectangular challah, I guess, something like that. And you have the two sheep, and you see the picture over here. The coin takes the two breads, and he holds the two sheep inside the two breads, and he waves them. Now you got to be pretty heavy and strong to do that, and therefore there are in the Tosef and other places it says really what used to happen is the coin could have helpers, you know, so uh, because well you know maybe he's not strong enough to do it. So the we, and it, there are different opinions in the Gemara exactly how this uh, happens. I remember it's in Menachos in the sixty-two, you know, where it says what do you mean al yochel yanich ksavim al gabi alechem. Maybe I hold the two breads. Let's go like the Ram them. They're two large challahs of a certain sort or flat breads, whatever. So maybe put the two animals on top of them. So you're holding four things, two at the bottom, the two breads, and the two sheep. I don't know how you take two sheep. <laughs> I mean, you pile one on top of the other, I guess. And, I mean, you really got to be strong for that. And then you wave them. Uh, so, or maybe do the other way around. Maybe hold the sheep at the bottom, maybe put the breads on top of them, and you go back and forth. And then the final opinion is um, you put them side by side. Right? Um, well, think about that. You put the two breads between the thighs of the animals. So I guess the animals are on the end and the breads are in the middle. So it's mamish not, you know, not 100% clear how you do it. Okay? And what's it? Manich Zeh Betzad Zeh. That seems to be the final thing. The one next to the other. Um, so I guess in the picture he understood that the two sheep are inside the uh, inside the breads. Whatever it is, it's strange. And then you do the, the waving. You know, Molcha maybe and so forth. So it's a little bit like a lulav, correct? In all the directions. And, you know, what's that? what does all that mean? And then more again, like speculates... That you wave it toward God who controls the winds and toward the who made the Shemayim Baritz. And another way is to stop bad ruchos, which is a wonderful double entendre. It doesn't mean meteorological winds or doesn't mean ruchos, uh, you know, bad, bad spiritual things and lots of tolim royim and, uh, and, and it even says, Otseris Ruchas Rose Slim Rhyme became Belulov. That's what they see with Dananunim. You keep the bad Ruchas away. And the best one is at the end, Girabaini, uh, the Sitna. That maybe it means you're, you know, sticking it uh, to the Satan. Right? So you're like going, mm, mm, mm. that's what you, when you throw, when you wave it out, it's like saying, heck with you, you know, to the Satan. And the Gemara says, don't do that. Also, the Skyrabe. Don't don't provoke the satan. <laughs> the opposite. We try to keep the satan asleep. That's the Sarah Azazel. You know, don't stir trouble. Correct. Remember that story? They said, "Let's go through a shuk shalzonos and overcome our yitzar." The other guy said, "Don't do that." You know, don't put yourself to the sayin. It's always better, as much as possible, when possible, to put the satan to sleep as much as possible. You know. Now. Um, you don't provoke the sultan and say, I can overcome him. Or you don't provoke the sultan and say, ha, 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 we got you. Because he'll get you back. So, 
the whole thing's kind of strange, right? And as I said the other day, uh, I've been looking at the um, Torah Ola, you know, and um, shall I tell you a funny story? Today, now they have the artificial intelligence, the, the chat, whatever they call it. So uh, my son showed me how to use it. And just for the heck of it, since I was thinking about the Tarazola, I wrote in, uh, you know, because the machine done that. I said, when did Israelis write his code of Jewish law? And he gave me the right answer. And then I said, when did Israelis write his Tarazola? And the computer said that G-chat or whatever they call it. I apologize. Israelis did not write a book called Tarazola. It's, an, it's a misunderstanding or misinformation. He wrote a commentary in the Shulchan Aruch called the Mapa, right? If you have any other questions, let me know. So I wrote to the artificial intelligence, you are wrong. And he wrote me back, I apologize for the confusion. Upon further research, I found that Moses Liss did write a book on Tarzola. <laughs> so, so much for your brilliant machines. But anyway, that was just a little experiment I did. Now, um... But in the Torah, so as I told you before, the Ramah undertakes as much as possible to try to find a meaning, some kind of symbolic meaning, symbolic meaning for every little aspect. It reminds me a little bit like Sam Sarebel Hirsch is that style also. I didn't look at Hirsch to him what the uh, Tanufa means, but I'm sure he's got his his uh, spin on it. But what it, the Ramah is not one you usually expect. And I would remind you, as I said, but on the and. Uh, when you read the Chumash, you do with the idea that the Chumash is not Thomas Man, not in Torah Senu. For whatever reason. I've given many reasons over the years why the Chumash omits talking about Zman, Mat, and Torah Senu. But if you're the Ramah, everything I just said is wrong, and all the Karbonas allude to Zman, Mat, and Torah Senu. They allude to certain important aspects of Zman, Mat, and Torah Senu, Zman, which is a very interesting way of looking at it. You have to be very Baroque and very 16th century to take this approach. But Enochanami, he does. And so I told you the other day that he's fascinated by the twos. Okay? Uh, and I want to talk about this now. And uh, first of all, you have the two... Bre- the, at the very central ceremony, the most Shavuos dick apart of the Carbonus of Shavuos, you got the Shtei Alechem, the Shtei Kipsi Atzeres. Right? The two sheep. So he says that the two sheep, the Shnei Kivsi Atzeres, is the Shnei Luchos Abris and the Nasa Venishma. So I told you, it's just interesting. They have two tablets. Why not one? And you have Nasa Venishma, the famous statement, why didn't the Jews, I, I suppose what it means is, why didn't the Jews simply say, you know, uh, Nasa or something like that? Why Nasa Venishma? Uh, after all, it'd be the same uh, nobility, if the Jews simply would have said, this is me talking, if the Jews would have said, Naseh, that would be blind faith. Don't have to be Naseh Benishma. Once it's Naseh Benishma, then you're already like, I'm a Kabbal, but then I have to clear what it is, tell me what it is. I mean, we all know those Dvar Torahs. First we do the Naseh, and then the Nishma. But it'd be even better if he just said Naseh. Matter of fact, in, in the Chumash, it does say in another part of that uh, account, in Yisro, I guess, or is it? Uh, yeah, I think it's in Yisro, or is it Mishpatim? It calls Shadibashem Naseh, right? But anyway, you have the double lotion. So to him, the two sheep uh, represent that. Uh, Bnei Yisrael sometimes calls sheep and so forth. 
And the Shtei Alechem, by contrast, the two breads are the two Torahs, the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat. <coughs> okay. Now, in the ceremony, somehow or other you hold them all together. Um, if a guy is real strong, you know, just for the heck of it, I was, I, I was, I was wondering, you know, how it would be, and I googled uh, Shtei Alechem ceremony, something like that. And sure enough, there's some operation in Israel. You know, there's all these uh, Beis Hamikdash-type institutes, and people dress up as priests and stuff like that. You know what I mean? A little bit weird, but uh, you know, they're not hurting anybody. And uh, I saw that they have. If you go, you know, go on YouTube, you'll see. It's like they it's some these guys are like imitating or whatever the ceremony, and you have two people holding the two breads, tchalas, I think, and two people holding the two sheep. I believe that's what it was. And there's a Tosef that Ataka goes like that. So anyway, whatever the case is, you're coming together ceremonially with the two sheep on the one hand and the two breads on the other end and mission them all together. And then after this, they, they separate. And the animals go off to be uh, slaughtered and then the breads to be eaten. Although, first the animals, you take the Chaz shok and then you do the Tanufa again. That's the way we seem to learn it. Uh, and then, as they say, then, you know, the Chazav goes to the coin or something, and then the rest of the stuff is eaten by the other people, the other uh, Kohanim, and um, and then what do you call it? The uh, the breads are eaten in a very interesting way. One of the two, they're two big breads, right? They're seven by four. So he says one bread it gives to the coin gadol, and the other bread goes and is is um, divided up among the other Kohanim. So that's a real status symbol, you know. You guys are all fighting. This will call Sharayim, right? Everybody finally get one of the... Let me put it this way. If I was a coin in the base of English, I'm a coin. Maybe I'm a little old now for being, uh, you know, in this job. But uh, if I were a coin and younger, and you had the base of English now, and you had Shtei HaLechem, which is a very chashua thing, and, and then they say after it's all over, all right, now one bread is being divvied up among all the other Kohanim. They're all going to fight for Sharayim, like Hasinim and Atish, you know? And... Uh, the Kohen Gadol has a whole loaf by himself, the whole bread by himself. That's a classy status symbol, you know. Kohen Gadol walks, nobody's allowed to touch his bread. It's kind of cool. Uh, if you think, of, you know, I don't think we usually consider the base of English in its human human aspect. Now, I'm not making fun of it at all. I'm just saying that the opposite, the human aspect, is what makes it real. Now, uh, where are we going with all this? I'll cut to the chase. The um, Tama Tanufa, according to the Ramah and the Torah Ola, is something very interesting, in his opinion. Now, what do you do? You do it in all different directions, correct? You know, Milo Moli, maybe a Mosi, whatever the expression is, uh, you know, uh, 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 up and down, and then this way and that way, all the directions. So, um, what is that? So, the Ramah suggests, that's all I can do, that Evshalom uh, or Cain, Shabola Horos, Shabola Hem Hadibor, Bishasmat and Torah, Mikol Hakitsavos, Shahin Maila, Umata, Vabruchas, Kamosha Darshul Hazal. Right? So that's already very interesting. He wants to suggest, and this is a brilliant uh, guess. He wants to, not that he needs my Haskama. So, um, what do we know about Maimut Hasine? Well, the truth of the matter is, we have a lot of contradictory different accounts. In the Torah, I'm in the Torah, take it from me, there's a lot of different accounts. Uh, one of them, and a very famous one, 
a very thought-provoking one, is a medrash in the beginning of Shmos in Perik, uh, in, in Parsha Hay in the in in uh, in the medrash Rabbo, where it says, "Remember that pasuk? The very beginning of the story that Hashem tells Aaron to go visit, see Moshe, and then the two of them walk together into Egypt after Moshe leaves his family behind. So on this, the uh, medrash says." Uh, for whatever reason, Yarim El Bakol Niflos, that God thunders with a tremendous voice. And Ma uh, Yarim, okay? So he said, Kashnah Kashbos at Tarbasinai, Herbakol Apil Eploim. So the message says that when Hashem pronounced the Ten Commandments, God, I repeat for the umpteenth time, Shavuos is not when the Torah was given, Shavuos is when the, the, the Ten Commandments were pronounced. And the tablets weren't given with the writing on them until 40 days later. So, Shavuos is when they're announced. It's all about coal. Shavuos is all about coal. It's not about Ksiva, which is just interesting. Uh, that itself is thought-provoking. But Shavuos is about listening, you know, audio, correct? The experience on Shavuos was an audio experience. Now, I know that they saw Kolos and Brokham and all that business, and they even saw things you can't see and so forth, but the main point was to get the Ten Commandments. And that's something they didn't see. It wasn't written in the sky, but they heard it. Okay, uh, assuming that everybody heard everything. Ketzad, uh, listen closely. So God spoke, but the voice went all over the place in a lot of different directions. So I'm a human being. I have a voice box. I have a throat. So if I speak, you know, the, my voice, the audio people will, the audio engineers will explain this. You know, the the sound waves or whatever you call it come from a certain direction. If I'm in this place, you hear my voice over here. If I'm in that place, you hear my voice over there. But on Shavuos, they call Hashem, which is something different. It's a voice that was created by God. Obviously, God does not have a voice. You understand that, right? You get that. God does not have a voice. Doesn't have a throat in a voice box or anything physical. So you have to say, if there was a coal, it was a coal that was created. <coughs> Now, um, and that's the Maimonidean philosophical approach. It's a created voice. Um, what were its qualities? Now, look, I don't know. I wasn't there. So it could be that the voice of God on Harsinai was like my voice right now. In other words, Hashem created a human voice, you know, which was very loud, to uh, to pronounce the commandments. Okay. I mean, that's okay with me. On the other hand, it could be, and very likely is, the God's voice, and here we're going to the heart of what happened on Shavuos. Literally. God's voice had a different quality than my voice or yours. Now, it's audio, that is to say, people heard words. You're right? I mean, that you heard. But it's not like it's coming from God's throat. So then what does it mean? So he says, Yisrael, show me this, when the voice pronounced the commandments, at the beginning at least, said he heard it coming from the south. So picture for yourself, Har Sinai. Imagine Har Sinai is somewhere in the lower part of the Sinai Peninsula, for argument's sake, we don't know exactly. And the Jewish people are standing all around the uh, mountain. Uh, you know what the map looks like, what's north, what's south, east and west. North is, uh, you know, towards the Mediterranean. South would be towards the Red Sea, correct? 
in the basic geography. Uh, west would be towards Egypt, and east would be, you know, to the Gulf of Aqaba, the Gulf of Eilat, and 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 Saudi Arabia. So the voice came. Um, uh, what do you call it? And and you know, Pussy's Eloami Tamanbo and all that. So if they heard the voice coming from the south, how you wrote on the Kabbalah's call, then everybody ran south to hear the voice. So I assume, I assume this means that if I was on a tribe and they were all around the mountain that was located, for example, north of the mountain because they were all around the mountain. So some were in the south, east, west, and north. So if I was on a tribe that was located north of the mountain and I heard, and it's coming from the south, I want to run around to the other side to get a better hearing of what's going on. That's where the, uh, the 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 noise is going to be. But then, when that happened, the message says, immediately it, it, it shifted to the other side, right? Uh, so the voice was funny. The voice originally came, I mean, the way he's describing over here, the voice came from the south, then switched to the north, and then to the east, and then the west, and then upstairs. Right? In other words, they started to hear voice coming from above them. Okay? And when they looked up, and then they heard a voice coming from below them, from the ground. And so all, that's why it says, And I guess, would mean that, you know, so, on, you know, the Pasuk says, the Pasuk, the verse in the Chumash says, came the, uh, the, 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 whatever he called, uh, uh, what's wrong with me? Uh, and, and then it says, so notice they, they heard something from upstairs and they heard something from downstairs. Now it could mean that they heard simultaneously from all the different directions, which can drive you crazy. So it wasn't a regular audio situation. That's the point. It wasn't a regular audio situation. And the Jews were saying, I'm reading the Medrash. is a in, in, um, in Eov. But it means, where do you find Chachma from? Where is Chachma located? Meaning, I try to, you know, I'm, I'm chasing a voice, like some movie, you know. I'm looking at a voice, and it's not here, and then it's there, and then it's there, then it's somewhere else, it's somewhere else, and I can't get it, right? Right? So, it's a certain confusing situation. The Ramah very fascinatingly suggests that the ceremony the central ceremony of the tenufa, of the waving. And remember, the Chumash talks about the Shtei Alechem is Lechem HaTenufa. Okay? Behenif HaKoyin or some Alechem something or other. The, the, the word Lahanif, Tenufa, and all, it comes over and over again. So it's a central... So, consider, I'm just retracing as best I can the thought processes of the Ramah. We have a ceremony on Shavuot called Tenufa. We, the Tenufa consists of all different directions moving the stuff, the twos and the twos, in different directions. On the other hand, we have a tradition that the voices which pronounce the Ten Commandments 
on Shavuot, on Shavuot. They're coming from all different directions. And so it sounds like one is connected to the other. Shebola Horos, Shebola Madibur Bishas Matan Torah, Mikol HaKetzavos, Lamal Lamata Abaruchos. Okay? Now that's very interesting. And I'll tell you what I mean. What is the reason or meaning behind what I just said? Notice why would God do that? Is he playing games with him, playing tricks, having fun, you dumb humans? You think the voice is over here and really it's over there? Now, partially the answer to that is yes. I'll tell you why. Remember, the book of Shmos and the whole Chumash is a learning experience. The Jewish people, at the time they leave Egypt, are not as knowledgeable of God as they are when they get to Mount Sinai. And they're not as knowledgeable of God until after the Golden Calf episode. And so on and so on and so forth. They're, they're learning things about Hashem as they go along. What they knew, this is my best understanding. That's all I can ever share with you as I say over and over again. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. This is my best understanding. And so, what's going on over here? The Bnei Israel knew that there was a God. They never heard him. They saw him do um, ten plagues and split the sea and all that stuff. Yes, that part is true. But they never heard him talk. So as far as they're concerned, what exactly is God? Now, they're not huge philosophers. The Ramah and the others would be the first one to tell you that. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Ramah has a whole thing in the Mordebuchim, whether Claudius all heard the other eight commandments or not, or, just, or if he heard just blah, 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 words like that, unarticulated sounds, and only Moshe Rabbeinu heard words. That's in the Mordebuchim. Versus the Abarbanel and all that. But, I think I spoke about that in the past. But, um, over here, they probably figure like this. Hashem will give them the Torah, and he'll talk like I'm talking to you. Because God is like Zeus or something, you know. He's some powerful guy that lives all the way upstairs, in the sky, beyond the sky. That's where he is. The notion of, a philosophical notion of God, which is Hashem don't have any goof, ain't no demusa ain't no goof, and, uh, you know, layarla mikre goof, and all that sort of thing, and that Hashem doesn't have a voice, he doesn't have a nose, and all the rest of it. That's a chedish to them. Right? And among other things, Harsin is a learning experience about God. That's not all it is. It's primarily getting rules and laws from God. But you're also learning about God. Let's put it this way. When more will anybody learn more about Hashem than at Maimon Harsin? You know, I mean, right? Certainly for Hamun Am. That's what Harsin is supposed to be. That's not all I, I repeat. Harsin is primarily a, uh, a law-giving event. But you're also seeing things about Hashem. So, uh, they don't see God because lo recent called Tamuna, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, they hear. So that's interesting what I just said. God does not... I walk away... The average Jew walks away from Harsina saying like this. God does not have a, a face, but he has a voice. <laughs> You get it? Larissim called Tamuna. God is invisible, but he has a voice. And that's not true. Remember the movie The Invisible Man? Well, who's it from? H.G. Wells? He was invisible, but he had a voice. So that's what Hashem is. So if you say, I believe in invisible God, that means I can't see him, but he's there in some kind of a form where really God does not have a form. Is that too heavy for you? I don't. I think you understand what I'm saying, right? 
Because, I'll say it again, there was no... I mean, no, you have to watch out for for his gashmus, you know, for assigning anthropomorphism, assigning uh, physical attributes to God. And you're talking about Harsinai of all places. Maimon Harsinai. Well, it's funny. In Maimon Harsinai, and again, we're getting this down to Shavuos, they had they came with a funny thing. There was no low reason called Tamuna. They didn't see anything, but they heard. So if I look and hear you talking and I can't see you, I don't say you're totally not physical and you create a voice for this particular occasion, etc., etc. I say you're like the invisible man of HCLs. I can't see you because you're invisible. You have that power. You can make yourself visible if you want, but you can't make you invisible. But I hear you talking. So here's the thing. In the H.G. Wells situation, let's say, for argument's sake, you can make yourself invisible and talk to me. So I know where you are by the sound of your voice. I haven't, I haven't read that book in a million years. Well, in a movie in the 30s. I, th in, I think in the end, I can't remember exactly, but I think they could grab him by, by, by listening to his voice. You know what I'm saying? Like the police or somebody, they could grab him by, by jumping and listening to the voice. But what if it turned out, as it was the case in Harsinai, that the voice is not a voice of a person, Jesse's invisible, or of a god, right? Like a Greek god or something like that, but who's invisible. It's not the regular voice. And so I'm walking up to catch you, and you're invisible, but I'm going to catch you by the sound of your voice. And all of a sudden, your voice is, in, is behind me. Right? It's a good movie, right? And if I go behind me, then the voice is upstairs or downstairs or here, there, and elsewhere. So then it's like an antidote, it seems to me, to the idea that this is a voice of somebody who's just invisible. I'm getting the voices from all over the place, either simultaneously, because it might mean that, or one after the other. Front, back, over, under, around, and through all the different directions. If I'm getting a voice from all kinds of different directions, then it's not a voice. Meaning, it doesn't conform to what human beings call a voice. A voice means it's coming from a body, and I can trace that audially to the source of it, and that's where the body's going to be located. Maybe with some trick, the body's invisible. You know, it can make himself ethereal, I don't know, whatever. But you can tell there's something there. So there is a muck home, get it? There's a muck home where it's located. Maybe it's all the way up high. Maybe it's far away. Maybe it's close. But there's a muckum. How do you get across to people the idea, ain't no muckum. In fact, Hashem created <laughs> Hashem created muckum. That's a hard one. In other words, to teach the basics of metaphysics, which is step number one in Yiddishkeit, which is ain't no demusikov, ain't no goof, period. And anything that resembles that is not really God's voice. It is a voice that Hashem created for some purpose, right? But it's not Him. That's that's a hard one. And it's not surprising to me because I know the Ramah is very into the Mordebuchim. In fact, he quotes the Mordebuchim very often in this Torah Sa'ola, as well as elsewhere. But the relationship with the Rambam on the one hand and the Mordebuchim on the other is a very interesting one, which has been much commented on by historians because the Marshal who was a cousin of his, wrote him a famous letter, cussing him out, and they liked each other. 
In fact, he said, I'm cussing you out because I respect you. What are you reading uh, philosophy and all the rest of it? And the Ram said, get off my back. I'm just reading the Mernavuchim and so on and so forth. Uh, See, so he's very aware of um, these philosophical problems and the ABCs of Judaism, which is you have to get past the Ain't no demus, ain't no goof. And so here we have, according to Ramah's ceremony, which lies at the very heart of Shavuos, the Shtei Alechem ceremony, where you have what what symbolizes what was given and what took place in Har Sinai. You have the two breads, which are the Tosh of and the Tosh of You have the two sheep, and you're holding them all together, and they have to do with the Nasa Venish from the Shnei Luchosa Bris. So you're holding reminders of Maimon Arsini. And you and you're saying, yeah, I remember when Harsinai took place, and I'm Molucha, maybe I'm Tanufa. I'm waving all different directions to remember. We heard a voice, but it wasn't a voice, because the voice doesn't come from all the different places at the same time. So what we heard was something different. I don't know exactly what we heard, right? We were Kol Hashem. What does that mean? And it raises the entire uh, memory of um, of Maimon Harsinai. To a very interesting, abstract, and 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 um, intellectual level, I thought that that's a very interesting insight. Um, and so when the when when um, the Medrash says that the Jewish people, when they hear everything coming from all different directions, so Klal Yisrael said like this: Ha Yisrael Omrim So the plain meaning is: Where does wisdom come from? No, it's where is this voice? This intelligent voice that's saying articulated words to us. May I and Timotzi, where's it from? Where's it where's it located? Is it is it a ventriloquist coming from here? Or the voice is coming simultaneously in all the other di- directions? But you can say better than that, like the Hasidim learned. True wisdom, may ayin, is when you realize you don't know. Ayin. It done it, it's not. Right? The absence of knowledge, that's the real chachma. Isn't that a Balshanta or something like that? That's already like a Rambal, like a very philosophical kind of word. And what it would then mean is that the Jews, hearing the voices coming from all over the place, literally said, <coughs> This Chachm is not located in any place, which is, which is the fact. It's coming to us from somewhere that is not a place, it's not a Makom. And so we're getting something that's literally supernatural. And that's the beginning of trying to understand what the Torah is, the very beginning of the beginning of the beginning to understand what the Torah is all about. Uh, anyway, I think that's a very uh, interesting point. And um, although it is like a, like I say, a, a very Baroque type of symbolism, but at the same time, it does um, deal with, with an aspect of Shavuos, namely the coal, which I think most of us don't really give that much thought to when early in the morning, after you were up all night and you were doubting chakras, you're half asleep, they read the uh, portion of the Torah that talks about Maimon Harsina. Uh, anyway, I wanted to throw that out at you. And once again, to thank Abe Gluck, who's uh, uh, very generously sponsoring this series and uh, trying to squeeze new information. Um, and with that, I bid you a good yanto. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, 
please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.